to our, we come to our next um, king in our series on the good, the bad, and the ugly. Apologies um, for the PowerPoint not being uh, behind us. I have got it, but I struggle to operate it with two hands, let alone with one. So um, you just have to try and remember all the kings that we've been through so far by memory. So we'll, we'll test your memory. So we'll ask Alicia first. <laughs> so we've, we've looked at um, almost all of the kings now of the northern kingdom of Israel. Remember the kingdom split after Solomon. Solomon's son, uh, Rehoboam, took the southern kingdom of Judah. And then Solomon's servant, Jeroboam, took the northern kingdom of Israel. There were never any good kings in the northern kingdom. And more often than not, the kings who were bad were referred to as just as bad as Jeroboam. They said they continued in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. Jeroboam set up a false uh, religious uh, worship in the northern kingdom, set up a religious center in, in Dan and uh, uh, Beth-Avon, or Bethel, but it turned to Beth-Avon. And um, that was to stop people from going down to Jerusalem for the three times a year that they were meant to go for um, the three feasts, for Passover, for Pentecost, and for um, Tabernacles. Um, so there was never a good kingdom in the north, and we've looked at all of those kings so far, bar one. We've got Hosea left, or Hosea left to look at. In the southern kingdom, some of the kings were good. Um, there were eight kings out of the 20 kings um, that ruled in the southern kingdom, and only eight of them were good. We looked at Jotham last week, and what was interesting about Jotham was is that there wasn't really anything bad said about him. Uh, what you tended to have with the good kings was they were good as long as this person was alive, or they were good, uh, but this was a bit of a blot on, on their resume. They were good, but you know they, they didn't quite do everything that David did. But in regards to Jotham, he was good because he prepared his heart before the Lord. Uh, what was interesting was, is I think, looking at his life, he took, his, 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 his mother was the, um, was the daughter of Zadok, so it's possible that she was from the, the, a priestly line, uh, and it's possible that he took spiritual advice from his mother, and therefore had a, a proper regard for God's house, the temple, he repaired the gate, and he didn't go into the temple like his father did. And, and I think he took the good points of his father's reign as a good king, and that was a really good match between, you know, what he had to do from a, a leadership perspective as a king and what he had to do as a, you know, a, a spiritual pers perspective as uh, a follower of the Lord. So Jotham was good, and there wasn't anything bad said about him. And then we come to his son, Ahaz. If nothing bad was said about Jotham, nothing good is said about Ahaz. Uh, and in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, in verse 1, it says, Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, but he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord like David his father. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made also molten images for Baalim. Moreover, he burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnon, and burnt his children in the fire after the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. He sacrificed also and burnt incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. 
Wherefore the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria, and they smote him and carried away a great multitude of them captives and brought them to Damascus. And he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel, who smote him with great slaughter. For Pekah, the son of Remaliah, slew in Judah 120,000 in one day, which were all valiant men because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this time together this morning. We thank you for the privilege of being able to come around your word and for the opportunity that we have, Lord, just to open this word up and to ask you to speak to our hearts through it, Lord. We pray that you would meet every need here today, Lord. And whatever that need is, if, if somebody here is struggling in their walk, if somebody here has, has a, is battling with various thoughts, whether there's somebody battling here with uh, salvation or, or their spiritual walk or whatever it might be, we just ask for you to speak to us through your word, that we might have that clarity of mind, that you would speak to our hearts so clearly that we would know exactly uh, what it is that you want us to do. So, Father, we pray that you'd help us, even whilst we look at Ahaz, who was such a wicked king. Uh, even as we look at such an ungodly life, we can still see the Lord working in such an incredible way that speaks to our hearts even today. So, Father, we just pray now your blessing upon your word and upon those gathered here today and watching online. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, Ahaz was as wicked as his father was righteous. Uh, and Ahaz was an absolute disaster. And I've called Ahaz the king of ignorance. Um, and you might think, well, you know, I, I, I may have heard Ahaz's name somewhere before. And we're going to come to that in a little bit because Ahaz um, is a king that was alive during the, um, uh, the ministry of Isaiah. And Isaiah gives Ahaz one of the greatest prophecies that we have in the Old Testament. And you're like, why give it to, to this guy? You know, he, he was literally ignorant of the Lord working. He was ignorant of, you know, the, the, the past glories of, uh, of Judah. He was ignorant of what the Lord wanted. He was ignorant of, what, uh, of, of how he should have lived his life. He was ignorant of what was just basic uh, morality. Um, and yet, he is given such an incredible opportunity to hear the word of the Lord. Verse 1 tells us some interesting things about Ahaz and, and what he was like. Um, he did not that which was right in the sight of, his, of, of the Lord, like David his father. If Jeroboam was the standard in the northern kingdom of how bad kings were, if they were bad, they were like, well, they just like Jeroboam. In the southern kingdom, the standard was David. They were either good like David, their father, or they were bad, and they weren't like David, their father. But David was the standard for goodness in the southern kingdom. Jeroboam was the standard for badness, if you like, in the northern kingdom. It says he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Well, the kings of Israel never did anything right. The kings of Israel were just full of idolatry. Um, you know, we know how, how um, uh, Baal worship was really promoted during the time of Ahab and Jezebel. So for him to have this, um, you know, this statement that he did just like the kings of Israel did, that's not a compliment. That's not something that's good. That's not like, oh, fair play to Ahaz. At least he did 
No, that, that is not a compliment. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. There wasn't a single solitary good king in the northern kingdom. They were all bad. They were all hopeless. They were all uh, wicked. They were all idolatrous. But then it says in verse 3, Moreover, he burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnon and burned his children in um, the fire. I think, and I'm trying to do this with one hand now, I think two kings... Um, says something a bit more detailed. Um, in verse 3 of 2 Kings chapter 16, in verse 3, it says, He walked in the way of the kings of Israel, yea, and made his son to pass through the fire according to the abominations of the heathen. Now, the Lord had cast out the people from the land because of this. You know, a lot of people struggle with the Old Testament. They say, oh, you know, it's a, it's a book about war and God is so uh, unjust and it's unfair that, you know, these people came from Egypt and they just wandered into this land and took all these cities. You, we have no idea how wicked um, the, the people were that God was judging. And God does judge wickedness. And sometimes he uses unusual people to judge wickedness. He used Nebuchadnezzar, a, a wicked king at the time, to judge his own people when he carried Judah uh, captive into Babylon. He, God, was trying to drive out this idol worship. And you know, sometimes you think, well, what's, what's the big deal? So what? It was a grove. So what? It was a high place. So what? They actually, when he says he made his son to pass through the fire, he sacrificed um, his eldest son. That, that's pretty much what he did. And, uh, and what you did, Chemosh was a, a big bronze statue that had his hands out, and those hands were heated. And what they did then is they placed their babies into those hands so that it wasn't just like, oh, they, they burned a bit. They, they were burnt to death in the hands of this bronze statue. What kind of people would do that? And you think, oh, you know, the, I, I can't believe God, you know, you know um, drove those people out. We have no idea how wicked um, the people were of that land at that time. And God said, look, I don't want this type of behavior to go on. But what had happened then, because Joshua and, and um, you know, the, those coming from the promised land didn't drive everybody out, they allowed some of that to still um, continue, it affected them. You know, and it's the same for us when we don't drive every sin out of our lives. If we allow one kind of habit that we like, well, we'll keep that because, you know, we, we enjoy doing that. It's going to affect us. You know, we think sometimes, well, it, it won't hurt because it's just a little sin. It's just a little misdemeanor. It's just a little, no, it'll affect the whole body because that's how it works. He burned his children in the fire. He made his son to pass through the fire. He sacrificed his eldest child to the Canaanite god Moloch, and that little baby was burned alive. That's the type of king that we are talking about. He sacrificed also and burnt incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Later on, Ahaz, um, Jotham protected the temple, um, rebuilt the gate um, to go from his house to the Lord's house, he protected the temple. Later on, Ahaz is going to plunder the temple. And he's going to give all the riches to Tiglath-Pilsner, the king of Assyria. He is going to take parts of the very altar of God 
and employ them in a pagan altar modeled after something he's seen in Damascus. Ahaz is bad, is a bad king. Ahaz is not like, oh, well, he's not quite as good as his father. He couldn't be any more opposite than his father. But God said to David, and this is the grace of God. God said to David, David, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So God has promised to establish David's kingdom forever. God has promised that David is going to have somebody sit on his throne forever. When you look at somebody like Ahaz, you think, really, is that the type of person you're going to have on the throne? You know, um, and we, we already looked at Pekah a little bit when we looked at the northern king. Um, so Pekah, the king of Israel, and Rezin, the king of Syria, are going to come down to Israel, are going to come down to Judah and say to uh, Ahaz, look, you better join with us so we can all be aligned against Assyria. Um, but he doesn't do that. Um, he refuses, and as a result, um, Ahaz is kind of in this background of instability. Pika and Rezin are about to come against uh, um, uh, uh, Jerusalem. Uh, you've got the rise of Assyria. Uh, and it's at that background that we kind of come to the meat of the message. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 1, if you turn to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1, it says that Isaiah... Um, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So Isaiah ministered during that time. Now, we probably are aware of Uzziah because it says in the day that Uzziah died, Isaiah was in the temple and that's where he saw the vision uh, of God on the throne in the temple in Isaiah chapter 6. Um, so we, we, we have Uzziah mentioned in Isaiah's ministry, but you never have, I, not that I'm aware of, you have Jotham mentioned in Isaiah's ministry, and you wonder why that is. It's probably because he was that good. You know, Isaiah didn't need to rebuke him, and, and that must have been an exciting time for Isaiah. But now Jotham is out of the way. This is where Isaiah's work is really cut out. Because... When we come to chapter 7, in the background of Pekah from Israel coming down against Ahaz, with the background of Rezin from Syria coming against Israel, and you've already got rumblings of Assyria um, coming against the northern kingdom of Israel because they're about to be carried into captivity and then making a move on Jerusalem. So it's with this background we come to chapter 7 of Isaiah. And it came to pass... In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up towards Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. So the first thing we see here is Ahaz was disturbed. Ahaz was disturbed. Two kings set their face against um, Judah and um, they couldn't prevail. They could not overcome uh, Jerusalem. And that's not to say they didn't do any damage. We read 
in 2 Chronicles how um, they, they killed 120,000 uh, of, of Judah's best and they took uh, 200,000 people from Judah captive. But what their goal was, in verse 6, they wanted to go against Judah to replace Ahaz as the king. Because they said, let us go up against Judah and vex it and let us make a breach therein for us and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabial. Um, so they wanted to set up their own king. Tabial is a Syrian name, um, so they wanted to take away Ahaz off the throne and put their own king there. Um, and the question is this, what would happen if they succeeded? If they were able to put a Syrian king on the throne, what would happen? God had already promised David, your seed is going to sit on this throne. So if they managed to kind of get rid of Ahaz, and he was a wicked king, and like, well, yeah, that, that's okay, but they would have just been pretty much replacing like for like. But if God had allowed that to happen, he would have been a liar because he made a promise, David, somebody's going to sit on your throne from your family. And then you might say, well, God is a liar because nobody sat on David's throne right now because, you know, when, you know, they finally went into captivity, you know, Zedekiah surely was the last king uh, and that's it. David's throne kingdom came to an end. Not quite. Ahaz is in a bit of a panic. But here's the thing. God has not given us the spirit of fear. As a child of God, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Um, First John says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. How incredible that as a child of God, no matter what we face, and I'll be honest with you, there are times in our lives where it would be quite easy for fear to take over. You know, whether that's medical news we weren't expecting, whether that's news uh, in work that we has, has taken the wind out of our sails, whether that's, you know, news within the family, uh, the loss of a loved one, whatever it might be. It's quite easy for fear to suddenly read its ugly head and to just overwhelm us completely. And you know, when we get to that point in our lives where we feel like we're about to be crushed and destroyed, we recognize then that's when the Lord's strength is able to pick us up for us to be able to keep going. Because we can't do it in our own strength. You know, I, I can imagine Ahaz is stressing out. Chemosh has not come to his aid. You know, Baal has not come to his aid. Ashtaroth has not come to his aid. The, the whole host of false gods that they were worshipping and all the sacrifices they were making in their groves and to their idols, they're not coming to Ahaz's aid. But God sends Isaiah to speak to Ahaz. And even though troubles come into our life, troubles can have a good way of drawing us closer to the Lord. Ahaz, even though he was disturbed, Ahaz was also defended. It says uh, in verse 3, Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and Shejabash, the son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fullest field, and say unto him, Take heed, and be quiet. Fear not, 
Neither be faint-hearted for the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezim of Syria and of the son of Remaliah, because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, Let us go up to Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach thereof for us to set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabiel. Thus saith the Lord God, It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. God sends Isaiah to speak to Ahaz. And can you imagine Isaiah as, a, as the man of God that he was? You know, he's, he's seen Uzziah's uh, reign. He's seen Uzziah as a, as a good king for the most part of his life. He's seen Jotham as a good king for the whole of his life. And now Ahaz comes to the throne. Maybe Isaiah thought, oh, as soon as we get rid of this guy, the better. Can you imagine having to present that type of message to this type of person? Hey, don't worry. God's going to take care of it. Ahaz was defended. Did Ahaz deserve to be defended? Not at all. You know, when you think about it, as, as children of God, do we deserve God to come to our aid in our time of need? No, we don't. But he's going to do it anyway because we belong to him. Isaiah says, take heed and be quiet. What we need to do in a time of turmoil is just stop and listen. You know, when Moses said to the children of Israel, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And I, you know, I love it when you look at the, the Hebrew word for salvation, Yeshua. Moses saying, stand still and see Yeshua of the Lord. Just stand still. And sometimes all we need to do is stand still and just see Jesus. Because we're so busy panicking and stressing and worrying and running around like crazy that we're not taking time to just listen to what the Lord has to say about things. To just stop and actually give it to him. He says, just be quiet. Um, uh, be not afraid. Take heed and be quiet. Fear not, neither be faint-hearted. How many times do we kind of worry ourselves so much that it makes us even more ill than we were in the first place? You know, worry has a, an incredible way of destroying our health. You know, it was, it was quite sad through COVID that you saw far more people ill, not from COVID, but from men, mental illnesses from the situation that we all found ourselves in. You know, and there's still a lot of people that ha haven't recovered from what we went through in 2020 because of that. And our mind has an incredible way of affecting our body. Uh, and it's easy to say, ah, oh, you know, just don't worry about it. <laughs> That's really hard sometimes to just stop and give it to the Lord. But he, he promises that take heed, stop, be quiet, fear not, do not be faint hearted. And that's the, the kind of advice that was given to this wicked man. How much more than as a child of God, when the Lord comes to us and says, child, just slow down, take heed, be quiet. I've not given you the spirit of fear. I'm, I'm going to defend you. I'm going to be your shield. 
he has, was defended even though he was disturbed. But this is where he frustrates the living life out of him. He was dubious. In verse 10, it says, Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. Ahaz is given an opportunity. Isaiah says to him, you ask for whatever you want. Whatever it is you want, I'll do it. If you want some miracle in the sky, I'll do it for you. You know, we, we know that God stopped the sin uh, for Joshua in the battle of Ajalon. We know that God moved uh, the, the, the sin backward uh, for uh, Hezekiah. We, we've seen the Lord do incredible things already. And, and Isaiah says to Ahaz, whatever sign you want for God to prove himself to you, you ask of it. You want a mountain to be moved, he'll move it. You want something to happen in the sky, he'll do it. Ask a sign and he will do it for you. You know the amount of times I've heard people say about becoming a Christian? If Jesus came into this room and turned this water into wine right in front of me, I'd be his greatest follower. And I always feel like saying the same thing. No, you wouldn't. Because he did turn water into wine in the wedding of Canaan, and there were multitudes of people who didn't follow him. Ahaz is dubious. And there's almost like a false air of humility. He's like, oh, I'm not going to ask because I don't want to tempt the Lord. The language there is, is I got no time for that. That's basically what it comes down to. I, I don't want to presume upon the Lord. Can I say this? When God says, I'm going to give you a sign, he's going to give you a sign. It's incredible how, you know, this person was told to ask for a sign and he didn't. And then the Pharisees, in regards to the Lord Jesus Christ, were told not to ask for a sign and they did. Um, how incredible uh, that this man here refused to believe the word of God. But we have churches full of people today that refuse to believe the word of God. You know, I, I, and I, I'll be honest with you, as a young Christian, I was one of them. Um, as a young, young Christian, I struggled with certain parts of the Bible thinking, well, how can that be true? Because surely science proves this. And I doubted swathes of God's word because of that. But if we doubt the beginning part of the scripture, what's there to stop us doubting the end part of scripture? Ah, well, you know, that's stupid to believe that God flooded the world. That's ridiculous. But if we doubt Genesis 6, 7, 8, do we then doubt John 3, 16? Do we say, well, yeah, God had the power to sacrifice his son on the cross to die for the whole world so all of our sins could be forgiven. But I don't believe the one who created the world could have done what he wanted with it in the first place. We doubt God's word all the time. And sometimes it's not even as, as, as big as that. Sometimes it's just the fact that, can God really do that? Can God really meet my need? We talked about not having a spirit of fear. Can God really take that anguish away? Can God really take that pain away? Can God really mend this broken heart? But he's told us that he can in his word. And we doubt it. Ahaz wasn't going to listen to God. He wasn't going to listen to um, Isaiah. 
Um, he was just going to trust himself to take care of things. And even though Isaiah came with an offer of grace to Ahaz, Ahaz refused to listen. And Isaiah then says, in verse 13, he said, Hear ye now, O house of David. So he moves from Ahaz now to Israel, or to Judah as a whole. And he says, Hear ye now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? What he's basically saying is, Your unbelief wears me out. But do you honestly think anything can weigh God out? That's the amazing thing about God's grace. You know, it doesn't matter how many people refuse to believe God, and we get frustrated when we're trying to witness and we're trying to tell people, and we think, oh, why don't you get this? Why don't you understand? Why can't you see what God has done in my life? And why can't you see how incredible this is? And sometimes we get frustrated when our loved ones and our family, and they don't want to know, and they don't want to hear, and they think we're weird, and they think we're kooky, and we think we're crazy, and... We get frustrated sometimes, but in God's grace, he just keeps, there's the gospel, there's my son, there's just, he just keeps on keeping on. He weedies us out, but it doesn't weedy him out. So all I would say is don't give up. Don't give up witnessing to your family. Don't give up witnessing to your friends. Don't give up being a testimony in work. Don't give up. Just keep going, because even though you are weedied out, and even though you are maybe even dubious. Can God really do that? Can God really save this person? With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And then finally, Ahaz is not only dubious, even though he's defended because he's disturbed, Ahaz is dismissed. In verse 14, Isaiah said, Ahaz asked for a sign. And Ahaz says, I don't want a sign. So Isaiah says, well, I'm going to give you one. Anyway, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. Against the backdrop of Judah's unbelief, against the backdrop of idolatry, against the backdrop of the nation effectively turning its back on God, um, he reveals his plan for the house of David. Remember we said, well, what, what if Ahaz had been taken out of the way? What happened after Zedekiah um, you know, was no longer on the throne and they, you know, Israel was taken into captivity and they never had a king when they came back from Babylon? So how could that promise be true? How could somebody from David's line sit upon the throne? Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And a lot of people ask, you know, what does this mean in the context to Ahaz? Um, God isn't necessarily addressing the king here. He's addressing the nation, Judah, the house of David. Some suggest the sign is that Ahaz is going to bear a son. Others say that this child is um, Isaiah's son, um, uh, which is the longest name in the Bible, Ma-Shalahalahashbaz. Ma um, but the scripture is clear. 
uh, it says, Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Um, and, and I don't know, maybe some of you have got a, uh, another Bible version, and some Bible versions replace the word virgin and then just put in young maiden. And that's not what the word means. The word means um, a virgin. Um, in the words of Dr. Ironside, he says, it is only unbelief that would try to nullify the force of this passage by reading in place of a virgin a young woman. Uh, the promise of God was to see through this plan the promise of a Messiah, a promise that he made to David that somebody would sit on your throne, a promise that he made um, to uh, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden that the seed of the woman uh, would bruise the head of the seed of the serpent, a promise uh, that he made uh, to David, to Moses, to Abraham, to so many people through the years that the Messiah would come. And that promise was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here, 700 years before Christ is born, his birth is predicted. And it came to pass. God always keeps his promise. God is never thwarted in his plans, not by enemies, not by nations, not by wicked kings. And God always stays true to his word. What does that mean? It means we can trust him. He's promised to never leave us and never forsake us. He's promised to be with us always. He's promised to give us the strength we need at the time we need it. He's promised to provide the needs that we have when we need them. He's promised to protect us with his everlasting arms when we're in times of distress and in times of trouble. And he just proves that he's true to his word. He's promised to save anybody that calls upon his name. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Those who call on the Lord, he will in no wise cast out. Those who are in the, the palm of his hand, as it were, no man can ever pluck them out of that hand. God's message is not about baptism. It's not about church membership. It's not about, um, you know, you're giving. It's about trusting Christ as your savior. That's what the gospel is. It doesn't matter how many times you come to church. You've heard me say this a million times. Sitting in church doesn't make you any more a Christian than sitting in your garage makes you a car. But when you come to church, you're going to hear the message that God has. And that's the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Why? Because that's the only message that matters. If you take nothing else away from today, just know this, that Christ died for your sins upon the cross. And if you trust him as your savior, your sins could be forgiven. And when your sins are forgiven, that means then you then have access to heaven. You can't have access to heaven until your sins are forgiven. Well, I don't believe that anything happens when, when this life ends. It's just nothing. Well, okay, what have you got to lose then? If it's just nothing, what have you got to lose? But if it's not nothing, and there is a hell for those who reject Christ, and there's a heaven for those who accept Christ, then what have you got to lose? Everything. I think it was, uh, I can't remember the mystery's name, that was the end of the spear, um, Jim Elliot, who said, there's no fool to give up that which he cannot um, keep to gain that which he cannot lose. We can't keep our lives. No fool to give up that which he cannot keep 
to gain that which you cannot lose. You can't lose heaven once you're a Christian. You can't keep this life forever. You know, this life goes by pretty quick. I mean, you blink and you're like, well, how did that birthday happen? And it's already there. You know, when you're young, you think, this is going to last forever. I can't wait until I'm in my teens. I can't wait till I'm driving. I can't wait till I got a job. I can't wait till I start a family. I can't wait. And then you get older and you think, like me, we just, I can't wait our, our life away. Because it goes really quick. But eternity lasts forever. There's a whole lot of things we prepare for in this life which doesn't last very long. The greatest preparation you can make is for eternity, which lasts forever. Ahaz was the king of ignorance. Please don't be ignorant of how much God loves you today. Don't be ignorant of what Christ did for you on the cross of Calvary today. Don't be ignorant of what's awaiting you in heaven at the end of this life, because it does not last forever. God loves you so much. And he proved that love by sending his son to die on the cross for us so we could spend eternity with him in heaven. If you don't know him as your savior today, then you need to trust him. If you do know him as your savior today, maybe you just need to remember to not be fearful, to be still, not to be faint-hearted, and just to keep relying upon the Lord. Father, we thank you again for this day today and for this time together. We thank you for all that you do for us, Lord. And sometimes we can be ignorant of what you've done in our lives. But Father, I pray you'd speak to our hearts today and help us to take comfort from the fact that your promises are never, never fail, uh, that you are always true to your word. And I pray that you would just help us, Lord, to not have that spirit of fear. There's many times in our lives where we stress and we worry and we fret and we panic. But help us just to take time to be still. Help us to take time then to turn to your word, that you might bring that to our remembrance to give us comfort in the time that we need it, for us to know and feel your peace and presence in our lives. Father, again, if there's anyone here in this building or watching online that has never trusted Christ as their Savior, maybe today would be the day that they would say, I, I need to put this right. I need to have that assurance that I'm going to be okay when I die. And I'm thankful for the peace of God which passes understanding. So Lord, would you just speak to someone's heart today? Would you help us in that regards? And we'd be mindful to give you the glory for it. Lord, we love you and praise you. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's stand and sing our last hymn together. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? We stand as we sing.
let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again for this day, for this time together, and for this privilege once again to come around your word. Father, we are thankful uh, for the blood of Christ which cleanseth us from all sin. And Father, we just prayed you'd help us to recognize what we have as a child of God and for the fact that our Heavenly Father is true to his word, that our Heavenly Father has provided a comforter, that our Heavenly Father has promised to never leave us and never forsake us. And Lord, what a comfort that is to know that you are with us always, even in our most hurtful moments, even in our darkest times. And Father, I prayed you'd help us to draw comfort from the fact and that you are always there for us. So, Lord, would you just help us now, Lord, as we as we leave the church, as we go back to our homes, Lord, as we prepare uh, for the week ahead, Lord, and we ask that you would use us in whatever way you see fit, that we might be a testimony and witness for the Lord Jesus Christ in this coming week. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 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 All right, and I ask you to remain standing. Uh,